Listener Production. Ever feel like you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders? Ever have friends who vent their frustrations and unload their problems on you and you walk away feeling really low in energy? These are just some of the questions I put to clinical psychologist Rachel Sampson. You might know Rachel from Instagram as at the Australian psychologist. She's an expert in sensitivity and she's on a mission to help people break free from negative life patterns. Sensitivity is a temperament trait. So we're familiar with temperament traits like introversion, extroversion, conscientiousness. Sensitivity is also a temperament trait. It is typically associated with having a greater depth of processing information around you, being more aware of subtleties in your environment. Um, It also means that highly sensitive people tend to have stronger emotional reactions to things. And because of all of that deep thinking and feeling, there's also a tendency to be overstimulated. And everyone sits somewhere on the sensitivity continuum. So we're all sensitive more or less. And about 30% of the population are at one end being highly sensitive. 30% have low levels of sensitivity and 40% are somewhere in the middle. When you say it's a temperament trait, is it a bad thing? No, absolutely not. And what's really interesting about this particular trait is that it means that we're more responsive to the world around us. So the higher sensitivity you have, the more susceptible you are to things that are happening in your environment for better and for worse. So people who are highly sensitive will say that they experience high levels of joy and wonder in the world at the same time as experiencing, you know, deep sadness and maybe disappointment. So you experience the full range of life at a really intense level. Okay, I kind of feel like I might be a sensitive person then because I can be watching a movie or reading a book and I'll like have tears streaming down by my face. I'll be super worried about the main protagonist in the movie. But I guess like 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 growing up, I feel like being sensitive was a bad thing like as a kid. It might just be that old school mentality but you're told to suck it up just toughen up stop being such a sook stop being so sensitive I guess I guess you were told not I I guess you were told not to feel what you were feeling yeah I think a lot of westernized cultures really devalue emotion and really value logic reason and thinking and so we have this view that we should get rid of emotion, that we should use our thinking to think our way out of how we feel. And so for people, 30% of people who are highly emotional, highly sensitive, are getting this cultural messaging that this core part of who you are, your temperament is biologically based, is flawed and undesirable in this culture that you're growing up in. And so often, you know, the more sensitive among us, will grow up feeling like they're defective in some way or that their sensitivity is too much and that it's not something that is valued by our community. It also reminds me, you know, I think in general our culture can be a little bit toxic positive where we're, we're always told to, you know, be optimistic, be positive, 
look on the bright side and I think I think that's really disingenuous because sometimes when you feel like shit it can be exhausting when someone says look on the bright side you know that that's a really demoralizing thought to have to try and look on the bright side when you're feeling really awful and really bad about something do you think maybe one of the steps to kind of broaching that is just acknowledging how we feel yeah absolutely I think acknowledging how we feel but also honoring that and seeing that as valid so you know when people are making dismissive comments or minimizing how we're feeling or telling us we should feel something different it could be very easy to internalize that and then start to invalidate your own experience but you've got to be able to first acknowledge what you're feeling and then to self-validate that, to know that there is always a reason that we feel something. We never have an emotion for no reason. I, I also think that sometimes we try and, or people will try and force perspective on us, right? So they'll say, well, that's a, that's a first world problem. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's helpful or harmful? Um, I think that that would be an example of dismissing someone's emotional experience. Yeah. That isn't big enough for you to have these feelings about. It doesn't warrant these feelings, so you should get rid of them. And then what does that leave you with? It, we all know that, you know, being told to calm down doesn't make us calm down. Being has told the opposite that there's effect, Rachel, when my exactly, husband says to me, <laughs> when Michael says to me, calm down, I... It just dials up, dials up, dials me up even more. Yeah, so we know it's not helpful and we can have some control over how we express that. That is something that, you know, is within our control to an extent, but the actual emotion that we experience, we don't control. So no amount of trying to talk ourselves out of it or talk someone else out of it is actually going to shift that emotion. No, and in fact it might even make them feel worse. Or it might even make yourself feel worse because when you say to yourself, come on, pull up your socks, get on with it, doesn't make you pull up your socks and get on with it. You feel even worse and you feel like a failure. And like like what you said, Rachel, you feel like there's something wrong with you. Yeah. I think it's great for people and, and for kids to empty their hearts. But I also know that sometimes when you're talking with someone and they're unburdening themselves with you and you're listening to them, that can be quite draining on yourself as the listener. So I guess are there any boundaries you would suggest that people put in place? One could be the amount of time that you're listening. So this would depend on the circumstances and and who you're listening to. You know, you may have more time for your kids, say, than you do for a co-worker who's going through something really hard. And you might say, I've got, you know, 15 minutes now, I'm happy to chat. But you might know that if you don't kind of set that boundary and you allow that person to talk for an hour, that might feel a lot more draining for you and deplete you of your resources. So I think if you are someone that feels deeply, is very attuned to other people's feelings, we do have to be smart about kind of what we're taking in ourselves and the impact that that's having. And I think it's an individual thing. You will know for you kind of what your limit is, I think. And so you can just be clear with people. Like I said, you know, I've got half an hour now um, and perhaps we can have a call later in the week, something like that. Yeah, so just setting the expectations or I guess the, the boundaries up front so it doesn't drag on infinitely and you're standing there feeling 
totally and utterly drained by this conversation and it does feel like a it feels like a bit of a selfish thing to do sometimes but I think it's so important to protect protect your own energy and protect your own boundaries you know I talk a lot I've got a running program for mums and I always tell the mums you've got to look after yourself first you've got to make sure that your oxygen mask is on first before you help other people I know it's easier said than done do you have any ideas about why that would be Oh, I think there's uh, lots of factors that play into that. Uh, one that comes to mind immediately is gender socialization. <laughs> I think that the way that um, women are socialized <laughs> in our, um, yeah, in westernized cultures, we are raised to focus on others and to be the caretaker. Yeah. And for men, their socialization is different. Um, it's, it's, you are socialized to focus on yourself, to be independent, to be successful. Women are getting competing messages. You know, we're being raised to be very sensitive and focused on others. And yet there's this message to also prioritize ourselves. That's very tricky. And I think just being busy, I think the amount of things that people have on now makes it hard perhaps to focus on yourself, prioritize yourself, because we've just got so many competing demands and responsibilities I think a lot of us are time poor and that can make it hard to prioritise ourselves. I agree because, you know, if you think about traditionally women may not have worked, Mm -hmm. they may have had more time to be with their family, to look after their household, but now most, most women probably work, most men work. You've got both parents working and then you're still trying to raise children still trying to do the juggle and then find a bit of time in there to do something for yourself to fill your own cup so um yeah it is it it is yeah it's so hard what about all or nothing thinking because that's something we talk a lot about inside my running program yeah all or nothing thinking is a cognitive style or it's sometimes called a cognitive error that we know contributes to things like depression stress Mm. anxiety And basically what we want to do once we've identified this style of thinking, recognise it's something that we do, we want to try to practise more balanced thinking. If someone's thinking, I need to give this running program 100% or not at all, we would be saying, well, how about you try for 80% or even 60%? So we're trying to find a middle ground to things that we're approaching rather than adopting this, yeah, all or nothing. What's the difference between moods and emotions? So moods are um, longer lasting. Um, they may last for hours or days, even a week. Emotions are more intense and fleeting. And so the initial emotion maybe lasts for you know, 90 seconds, 30 seconds. Right. How we respond to that emotion can generate more emotion. So if we begin ruminating about whatever it was that made us angry, let's just say we're driving, the car in front slammed on their brakes, we nearly hit them, we're furious at the driver for not paying attention, whatever, Um, and we have this pang of anger, if we moved on and thought about getting to work or wherever we're going and forgot about the, the bad driver, that emotion would settle very, very quickly and pass. But if we start to think about it and we ruminate on the driver, and we're spending our drive to work thinking about what a you know idiot that person was, what was wrong with them, why were they doing that, I could have had an accident, 
those thoughts are going to bring up more emotions and so then it could prolong that emotional experience. So is that sort of like when you stew on something? Exactly like that, yeah. <laughs> like it's just someone said something to you a couple of days ago and you just keep ruminating about it, you keep yes. thinking about it, you keep stewing about it and say so that, I guess that sour feeling you have. Yeah. So the emotion is no longer being generated by the initial situation. It's now coming from our perception and thinking about it. Oh, my gosh, you know so much. <laughs> so how, how do we not ruminate? That is very tricky. That is a, a really <laughs> big practice and people who um, are big ruminators do find it really hard to, to change that pattern. But there are things that you can do. Just a, a quick one for today, mindfulness practice is something that we're hearing right. about. Yeah. So when we're ruminating, we're stuck in our own head thinking and we're either thinking about something that happened or we might be actually worrying about something that is going to happen, but we're not actually thinking about what's happening in this moment, right? We're never, ever ruminating about this present moment. It's about something no. that happened. Something that happened last month. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, or five years ago when we were in primary yeah. school. Um, so if we can find a, a few moments to bring our attention to the present moment, and we, we hear about lots of different ways you can do this, you know, you can be looking around and looking for five green things in your environment. You can be focusing on your breath as an anchor to the present moment, and just noticing the rhythm, the rise and fall of your breath in that moment. If you're holding your child, you can be looking at how beautiful their hair is or how tiny their hands are. Anything that brings you into the present moment is like a circuit breaker for that rumination. Rachel is going to be back on the podcast very soon, but in the meantime, go give her a follow. Her page is fantastic at The Australian Psychologist. Thanks for listening to Terea Pitt's Pep Talk. Follow to get new pep talks every day. Listener.